Men of honor, strength, and integrity have long been essential in society. The Honorable Man Podcast is a celebration of such men. Here, we will discuss men in history and those today that exemplify what it means to be an honorable man. Let's go. All right, let's go. I am Ed Jones, and welcome to the Honorable Man Podcast, a podcast dedicated to men who've chosen the path of honor, strength, and integrity. If you're looking to become a better man, you've come to the right place. On this week's episode, we'll be talking about 9-11 hero Rick Rescorla, the best shit-hit-the-fan movies, which should be fun, and why Popeye was right about spinach. Baron Tim Hickey, how are you, brother? I'm doing pretty good, Mr. Jones. How about you over there, Mr. Producer Bill? You doing all right? Oh, I'm happier than Joe Biden with a cup of ice cream and a five-year-old sitting in my lap. Oh, my God. Yep. <laughs> That's going to get us kicked off multiple platforms. Censored. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to happen anyway, fellas. Our, our podcast just got, just got the boot oh, from YouTube. Boy. so hey, It's a lonely place boy. at the top if you want to rock. Jesus. <laughs> Coming out swinging. Coming out swinging. Yeah, I, I didn't watch a second of it, but we just had a State of the Union address from uh, Potato, and uh, it was just the clips I saw between him getting the Ukrainian people mixed up with the Iranian people and Nancy Pelosi in the background oh, man, maniacally that... rubbing her hands together when he was talking about burn pits. Dude, can somebody just, uh, hey, if you're out there listening, can you guys just send uh, Nancy Easy. Pelosi Easy. some polydent? That's all oh, I want. Okay. Oh, like, yeah. she was okay. sucking on her dentures the entire time. It was driving me crazy. I had a hard time watching. Yeah. That's um, why I don't. Yep. Don't watch those. Well, we know what Kamala is sucking on. <laughs> Holy cow. Wow. We're coming in hot this episode. There's the rest of the what? platforms. Yeah, just, <laughs> ban- ban- just, just, just in case we weren't banned from the Brandon oh, comment, we, we got yeah. it with Kamala. All right. So before we get into our uh, normally scheduled programming, we're going to talk a little bit. It's been a busy week for uh, us guys here locally with um, some school board um, uh, nonsense going on locally. Um Tim, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, what's happening at a local career center, tech tech school? Um, so, like, I, it, it's not just a tech school. So, there's a lot of uh, different careers that they have there. But what has happened locally, um, and it's happening across the country, is they have implemented equity into a selection process into our local uh, career center, which is a high school based career center with uh, many different careers and so both myself and um, Ed attended these school board meetings and it's it's just very troubling to hear these PhDs who sit in an office who have no real-world business experience try to break something that wasn't broken to begin with and try to bring in equal or equity into an equal situation and for anyone out there listening you obviously know that equity and equality are two different things but it's um become ridiculous in our our local atmosphere and when we don't speak up about it it's just going to continue um so i think we'll post some links on the bottom of this show if you want to hear what i had to say specifically because i was one of the speakers and man i had a killer migraine that day i didn't even want to talk but as i sat there and listened it was like man they they started really irritating me so i had to stand up and say something but um Again, they have implemented a lottery system into a school program that 
is supposed to be based on merit. We're like we're we're a meritocracy here in the United States. We're we're not supposed to be operating in an equitable equitable standard. Um, but they're they're trying to change that. And they're, what they're doing is they're starting with kids, man. These are high school kids. And what does that really do to your workforce, your society? But this this particular situation was decided by one man who has a PhD and he doesn't even know that he conflates those terms so he doesn't even know the true definitions of it I had a lot to say about it um, so we'll post those links in the comments so check it out if you if you want to hear um, my personal thoughts on so that so just just for a point of clarification this is a career center where kids entering their junior year um, of high school from 10 area districts feed into this career center and they study anything from cosmetology to welding to business to carpentry they they have a, a pretty nursing. wide breadth yeah. nursing a wide breadth of, of um, subjects that they teach there and the idea is of course to prepare these young kids that aren't necessarily going to go to college for the liberal arts degree or what have you to be able to hit the ground running after they graduate with a certification in welding or cosmetology or what have you the fact that a career center, you know, is, is, is selecting children to enter said career center via lottery as opposed to merit, attendance, grades, letters of recommendation, interview skills, those types of things. It just boggles my mind and it, it makes zero sense that you're supposed to be training these kids for the next step after, after uh, high school to get a job where they're going to have to go and interview and, and, be and perform based well based on their qualifications. They're going to be hired on, based on their qualifications. But to get into the school, there's no qualifications taken into consideration at all. As long as you have a pulse and you're on track to graduate, your name goes into a hopper. So the problem is, is they have, there's a couple programs there, I believe welding and uh, cosmetology specifically, that have too many kids interested for the, the amount of seats. So instead of increasing the number of seats available and going to the various districts and saying, hey, we need a little bit of help maybe with some funding, um, the superintendent, without knowledge of the board, of the, the school board there at the Career Center. Or any board in our... Or any of the districts, yeah. didn't confer with any of the districts feeding into that Career Center, unilaterally made the decision that I'm just going to pull kids' uh, names out of a hat, and those are the kids that get to attend these various classes. It's It boggles the mind. Again, the irony cannot be lost on this gentleman that this is a Career Center. These kids are going to at some point face the brutal truth that life is a meritocracy and you're rewarded for hard work and um, all the things that go into becoming a good employee, I'm sorry, all the things that go into becoming a good student also are necessary to be a good employee. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's removed that, that barrier to entry for the career center and a lot of kids are going to get left behind that are busting their butts and have planned on going to this career center for a long time that you know their siblings have gone there um and they know that the, the, this this place actually does a lot of good in our community but you know if, if it was just cosmetology for example that they were taking let's say the average student i guess maybe i could live with that but the fact that they have a nursing program and that, you know, I, I am in this community and my parents are in this community, my loved ones are in this community. And the fact that we may be exposed to a nurse that graduated from this career center, um, that wasn't admitted by, yeah, yeah. that wasn't admitted based on merit, but was basically lot, you know, it was a lot. And what it really does is it, it removes incentive to work hard and to excel and to 
have that drive, it removes all that incentive to succeed. And it's a form of socialism. And hey, I will tell you guys, this is brand new. This is a PhD who has, again, never been out in the workforce. They sit in an office or in a conference room somewhere and they make these decisions. And it's this woke culture that is slowly implementing socialism. And with anything socialistic, there is no incentive to stand out, to work hard, and to do all the things that help you succeed in life. And so they remove the interview process. Um, and they're just using a lottery based on one school out of 10 complained. And hey, that one school actually has a 46% graduation rate. Um, instead of looking at that school and trying to improve the education that they're giving to get everybody up to the same basic level, like they've removed all that. And it's, it's, um, it's been ridiculous. Again, we'll put that link in, in the quote or um, in the comments on this. And uh, you guys can check that out. Um, because it's not just happening in our community, it's happening all across the country. And I will tell you firsthand, everything woke turns to shit. Yeah, if you don't get involved, if you don't go to these school board meetings, you're not going to know this. The, the reason this came to light in our area is, is one of our um, good friends got a, a, refuse, or a, um, a letter saying his daughter did not make or yep. didn't make the first cut, first round of cuts to get into um, one of the programs there. And he said, well, wait a second. She hasn't even went through the interview process yet. So he started doing a little bit of digging and... It led to, you know, we had 30, 40 people show up at the, at the last meeting. Um, I don't know if anything's going to come of it. We had uh, one of the district school board uh, presidents wrote a, a stern letter to the, to the career center's board. Uh, there's another school that appears to be getting on board. And they're actually looking at removing um, their students potentially uh, no longer being a feeder. So right now there's 10 schools that feed into this system. Like Tim alluded to, one of the schools filed a complaint because they didn't feel like they were getting enough of their children or enough of their kids into the program. But uh, Tim also said that this district, this particular district uh, does very poorly when it comes to testing and those types of things. So it's not really a surprise that their kids weren't being awarded with this opportunity. But we have, we have two districts that may be pulling out of this career center. It may not happen this year because, you know, we're, we're halfway through the year or more, but they're looking into to taking those steps. So, you know what's interesting? Interesting as you're saying this is that <clears throat> I want to bring light to something that I, I'm, I'm hopeful that some of the listeners are aware. Of, but there's a, a gentleman his name is Saul Linsky, and he wrote a very, very groundbreakingly evil book called Rules for Radicals. And as you're talking about this, Rule Number Twelve came to my mind. Uh, actually, Rule Number Three and Four did, but I want to just highlight on Rule Number Twelve because I think it amplifies exactly what's going on. And it, it just simply says, pick the target, freeze it, personalize it, and polarize it. So the process that they're going through, and, and I can say, uh, you know, being a, a lifelong resident, that the Auburn Career Center, the name of it, I don't know if we were allowed to say that, but of course. Um, the, it has had a successful track record. Absolutely. So this, is, this isn't something that has been like a fly-by-night kind of a thing. Like, you know, I graduated high school. <laughs> well, I, he no he didn't math. specialize in math. No yeah. now we've got Carry the seven <laughs> divided by 12 to the third power, but um, a, a while ago. And, and even when I was in high school then, there, there were a lot of people that were making wise decisions to enter into fields, whether it be cosmetology, carpentry, welding, you know, whatever Trades, the business. Yeah. What, yes. Um, and I would even say in this political climate, going that route versus college, 
It's, it's a really profitable and equitable thing. Well, that's to do. why they have this issue because it, trades are becoming more popular, and they haven't they they didn't have the foresight to see that and scale right. up their their teaching abilities. But but what they're doing is that when you when you look at what Alinsky wrote, once again, just to reiterate, pick the target, freeze it personalize it and polarize it instead of them instituting a what for decades and decades and decades have been considered a fair and equal and balanced method of Since achieving 1979 yeah it, now it, you know it's like the if you lived in this area you would know the school because i do and you you would know that there are things happening but highlighting this particular school they're they're freezing it they're personalizing it they're making it uh seem as if there are obstacles and that there are are disadvantages when it isn't really the case so what we have to realize is that you know these are all really subversive things this is uh this is a playbook this is something that you know the the progressive movement in, in the world right now really uh has capitalized on that rules for radicals is, is the playbook and uh it, it really makes me sick because even if you read the the beginning of the book you know alinsky who was hillary clinton's mentor uh, to tell you the caliber of gentleman he is, you know, he dedicated this book to Lucifer, uh, and it's interesting because it's a really hard book to find. Uh, if you, can, you you go to a used book, uh, used store, a uh, bookstore, you can find it. But I recommend getting it and reading it. It's going to piss you off and infuriate you. But you know, the, the scriptures say that my people perish for a lack of knowledge, and this is exactly what's going on. And it should hit home because it's going on right in our own backyard. Hey, and yeah. I do want to point out, like, the reason we go to school boards and the reason we get involved is because if you think you have a voice on the national level you don't the only way you can affect change is by getting involved on your local level and then growing it outward and protecting your community so when you see something like this start to happen in your own backyard and you're silent like holy cow are we starting to fail not only ourselves but our futures and and the future workforce and and our kids and and everything so please 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 um, start to attend those school board meetings man I'll, I'll tell you firsthand I'm, I'm going to all of them and they all suck um, but when we're silent they have free reign over the projection of, of the future for our kids and like we can't let that happen and that really where this stuff came from is through the Biden administration's Department of Education trying to implement equity into a situation where equity has no role um, so something to look at and uh, pay attention to I don't want to hang up on this topic too long because we have a, a full show ahead of us but it's uh, needless to say um, disappointing at a minimum but we have to do more and that's really what I, I came taken away from that meeting yeah get involved folks you know in the age of information ignorance is a choice yep. so uh, Tim, what do you got for this episode's quote? So this episode's quote is um, by Rick Ricola. Ricola? Rescorla. 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 Can we edit that out? Because I still can't read. But uh, this, the quote is, stop crying. I have to get these people out safely. If something should happen to me, I want you to know I've never been happier. You made my life. It's basically what Tim tells me every day, but, um, so, <laughs> no, right. where's the fact checkers at? <laughs> Rick Riscorla was an American soldier, police officer, educator, and private security specialist of British origin. He served as a British Army paratrooper during the Cyprus emergency and a commissioned officer in the United States Army during Vietnam, during the Vietnam War. 
He rose to the rank of colonel in the Army before entering the private sector where he worked in corporate security. So uh, his post post military career is what we're going to um, focus on today. But interesting fact, he is the the soldier on the cover of We Were Soldiers. What is the name of the book? We Were Soldiers Once and Young. It's the movie that Mel Gibson made. Okay. Called We Were We Were Soldiers. We were soldiers. But yeah, Rescola is on the cover of the book, hmm. um, the v- the Vietnam book. Um, so. The guy, the guy is actually really prol- prolific. So after serving in Vietnam, he returned to the U.S. and used his uh, military benefits to study creative writing at the University of Oklahoma, eventually earning a Bachelor of Arts degree, followed by a Master's of Arts degree in English. And he got a law degree from Oklahoma City University School of Law. He moved to South Carolina where he taught criminal justice at the University of South Carolina for three years and actually published a textbook on the subject. But it, as, as most people know, it doesn't really pay well <laughs> being a teacher. Um, so he left teaching for a higher paying job for higher paying jobs in corporate security, moving ultimately moving to New Jersey in 1985. He joined Dean Witter Reynolds at their offices at the World Trade Center in Manhattan. So after the 1988 bombing of the Pan Am Flight 103 over Lockerbie, uh, Rescola worried about ter- a terrorist attack uh, at the World Trade Center because his old American friend from northern Rhodesia um, Daniel Hill was trained in counterterrorism. In 1990, Rescola asked him to visit the World Trade Center to assess its security. Um, when Rescola asked Hill how he would attack the building were he a terrorist, Hill asked to see the basement. And after the two walked mm-hmm. down to the basement parking garage without being stopped by any security, Hill pointed to an easily accessible load-bearing column and said, this is a soft touch. I drive a truck, truckload full of explosives in here, walk off, and light it off. That year, Rescola and Hill wrote a report... Uh, for the Port Authority of New York and submitted it, um, insisting on the need for more security in the parking garage. Their recommendations, which would have been expensive to implement, were ignored. Um, and as everybody knows, in 1993, the World Trade Center bombing, a terrorist did exactly that. He drove a drove a, a truck bomb, actually set it 30 feet from where Hill said that he would park his truck uh, if he were going to do the same thing. Hmm. So following the 1993 bombing, Rescorla invited Hill to New York, where he hired him as a security consultant in order to analyze the building's security. Although no arrests had been yet been made in the case, Rescorla su- suspected that the bomb had been planted by Muslim terrorists. So this is, this is fascinating. So Hill actually posed as a Muslim and started going to the various mosques around New York City and ultimately got wind of who was responsible for that bombing. And, mm-hmm. and those two guys basically... Wasn't the FBI? Wasn't anybody else? These guys basically broke the case on who who did that that truck bombing in 1993. So that leads us to um, September 11, 2001. At 8:46 in the morning on two, uh, September 11, 2001, American Airlines Flight 11 struck the North Tower of the World Trade Center. Rescorla heard the explosion and saw the tower burning from his office window in the 44th floor of the South Tower, Tower Two. When a Port Authority announcement came over the PA system urging people to stay at their desks and before United United Airlines Flight 175 would strike the South Tower at 903, he basically he said, screw that. These dumb son of a bitches want us to stay in our seats. We're getting the hell out of here. Um, quote, unquote. Yeah. So this is fascinating. So after that, that truck bombing in 93, Rescorla... To the scourge of everybody that worked for it was at, at that point it had been Dean Witter had been um, um, bought by Morgan Stanley, so now he worked for Morgan Stanley. He would have them do monthly evacuations hmm. from, and they owned like a large block of floors. I I, I don't remember exactly where it was, um, but he would have them do monthly stand up. Everybody's double, you know, single file, two lines, and everybody would bitch and moan, piss and moan, piss and moan. 
but that came in handy on, on September 11, 2001. So, he, oh, here, here's what he said. Those dumb, the dumb son of a bitches told me not to ex- evacuate. They just, they said it's just building one. I told him I'm getting my people the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> he directed people down a stairway from a bottleneck on the 44th floor, keeping people away from the elevators while telling them to remain calm. So, so this is this is the key takeaway. Um, twenty seven hundred, after successfully evacuating almost all of Morgan Stanley's twenty seven hundred employees, he went back in the building. Uh, when one of his colleagues told him he had to evacuate the World Trade Center, was Scorla replied, "As soon as I make sure everyone else is out." He was last seen on the twelfth. I'm sorry, the tenth floor of the South Tower, heading upward, shortly before its collapse at nine fifty nine. Um. In, in Tim read his quote, he had actually called his wife and, and told her those things. He said, listen, I got to get my people out of here. Stop crying. Just know that I love you. This was, That was his second yeah. wife, by the way. Um, you've made my life fantastic. Uh, Rescorla actually um, was in remission for cancer at the time. The guy just led a prolific life. I, a total of 13 Morgan Stanley employees died on September 11th. Only 13 out of tw- almost 2,700. Wow. So. Man. You know, that guy theoretically saved 2,700 lives by telling them to remain calm, by, by being diligent after 1993 and having them constantly drill evacuations, and by not listening to the Port, port Authority people that told them to stay in the building. Hmm. Um, you know, and he knew. He knew going back to 1993. He said, listen, the next time they come at us, they're going to come in the air. Um, so that's why he had them constantly drilling the evacuation and... Uh, Basically responsible for saving 2,700 people. Just just a fantastic, fantastic story. Um, you know, the guy survives Vietnam, survives cancer, comes back and say, you know. Wow, hoofing it down 44 floors. That's And he was a big guy. Yeah. He was a real big guy. You know, all the meds he was on for the anti-cancer, whatever you want to call them, the meds, he, he had ballooned up. He was, I think he was over 300 pounds. Jeez. And it was something that he, you know, if you look at the picture of him on the cover of that book, he's a skinny guy. As most of the guys over in Vietnam were after a long time, right? I mean, um, you can only shit on a shingle for so long, right? Yeah, dysentery and, and all the things associated with that. But um, let's talk about heroes like that. That defines just, it. Just, and, just um, prolific. Yeah, like it really does. And to have the foresight and make sure that you're training as the application could be, and and to make sure that. In every scenario, you have your wits about you and you, you practice this, and, and that's how you survive any sort of um, tragic situation like 9-11 was. But to have that heart and to sacrifice yourself uh, for, for others, it's like when you talk about admirable, like this dude's name should be right next to it. He's an actual hero that lived in our lifetime and as... Um, a horrible of an event that was we we always have to make sure that we focus on people like Rick that that really stand up and show what it's like to be or what it means to be an American um, and to care about others and to be prepared for the worst case scenario even when everybody else thinks you're crazy for for absolutely for that good point stuff. good point um, so Wow. It's interesting. Um, so doing the research for this episode and some further episodes talking about some other heroes of, of 9-11, um, the South Tower was hit second, but it went down first. 
which I, I, I had forgotten that, you know, it's been 20, 20 years. I mean, 20, 21 years. It's, it's insane. And, um, another documentary I, I ta- I watched, um, on Wells Crowther, who we'll talk about in a future episode, had some, had some, uh, video camera angles of, of the planes hitting the, the towers that I had not seen before. I thought, you know, thought I'd seen pretty much everything, but there was some, some, just some horrific up close videos of these planes going in there. Yeah. But I mean, like I said, he survived Vietnam. He was a hero over there too. Um, comes back here, prolific life, you know, goes on to, to be a professor, gets his law degree, practices law, writes a textbook, goes into the private sector, becomes a security um, expert for, for Morgan Stanley, Dean Witter. And then, you know, God put him in the right place. You know, he kept him, kept him alive that long to be able to save all those people. You know, what did we lose, 3,000-plus people? Yeah. And you know, if a, he doesn't get those 2,700 out, it's yeah, almost double. Yeah, double it. And just think about that quote for a minute and, and put yourself in that situation where you're, you're calling your wife. And your wife is obviously upset. And just to say, stop crying. I have to get these people out. If something should happen to me, I want you to know I've never been happier. You made yeah. my life. like. Man, yeah, it choke you up, man. I'm it's, choking up just reading it. Yeah. Here, that's, so. that's heavy, heavy stuff. You know, so they sifted. It's kind of macabre. But, you know, they, they sifted through all these remains, everything, right, trying to find DNA. And they never found a single. They were never, never able to confirm Obviously, he was pronounced dead about three weeks later, but they never found any DNA of his anywhere. Yeah, yeah it's just, you know, I it should be requ- it should be required viewing, right? Every September 11th to watch. I mean, I know it's 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 heavy, but we've forgotten so much. I mean, you know that never forget bullshit that everybody was saying afterwards. Yeah. We've forgotten. Yeah, no, <laughs> we've forgotten. We have we have pro- we have people that would have cheered on those terrorists sitting in Congress. Well, right we're now. sending kids to war that weren't even born yet based on the, the same same reasoning um, and, and chasing down um, this war on terror. But seriously, some people did something, something, right? Remember? Something, yeah. Some, what'd you say? Some people did something? I don't know. I don't know where, like, obviously all of us will have our own 9-11 stories about where you were. I was actually a police officer when that happened and I worked third shift and I was never, ever, ever awake at that hour. So I was out in Arizona, so it was three hours behind. And for some reason, I woke up at six in the morning and I turned on the TV right when the second plane hit. Really? Like, never in my life happened that this was dating us all a little bit, but my pager went off like 10 minutes <laughs> later. <laughs> you guys remember pagers? Oh, yeah. For all the younger listeners, those were like, uh, I don't know even how to describe them now, yeah, but my pager went off and we all got recalled. Nobody knew what was going on. Like it was a very scary time, scary situation. Um, but to watch all of the heroes and it, it wasn't just the first responders and um, police and fire that were doing. It was, people like Rick like it was everyday Americans that that stood up to and sacrificed themselves trying to save others and to me that's that's what America means to me and that's what um that's what we always need to focus on here amen. and amen it's um mm. honorable men honorable, honorable men. men the world yep. needs more of them but we need to celebrate 
the ones we've had. Definitely. And they don't have to go all the way back to 1776 or Rome or what have you. I mean, that's, you know, there's honorable men today out there walking amongst us that we need to celebrate and make sure that they are aware that we're that we're aware. Absolutely. Right? 200 years from now, we'll be talking about people like Rick. Absolutely. And, um, but Absolutely. It, Rick is, you know, we, we can all be that. And it, it's just um, living that honorable life and making sure that we're standing up for others and protecting, like, 9-11 was, you know, it was a terrorist attack, um, if you if you believe that route of everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> I say that because I know Bill's looking at me. But, um, but it... it can be very similar in any shit hits the fan scenario or a societal breakdown or a nuclear war or anything that happens it doesn't even have to be anything that drastic it could be you know natural disasters that hit us we need men to step up and be men in those times and rick did that so that's um what you don't hear about. the you don't hear the phrase ta toxic masculinity when the shit hits the fan right not at all you don't hear that in hurricane not katrina you don't hear about the toxic toxic masculinity of the firemen and the policemen that are running up the stairs while everybody else is running down you know yeah. you don't hear that bullshit when the world needs men it's only when we have these first world problems where mm -hmm. everybody wants uh, the equal outcome as opposed to equal opportunity. But yeah, tell me about toxic masculinity when the towers are falling. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that that's a good death. Nope. I, he also has another yeah. quote where he was talking to a buddy of his that survived Vietnam, and he said, and this was when he had cancer, and he thought he was going to die, and he's like, this isn't how I was meant to go out. I, we should have went out in a blaze of glory. I, that's almost the yeah. quote that well, I use for this because that's fantastic. Think about it. He ended up going out in a blaze of glory. The well, ultimate and, blaze and of glory. And what I can tell you, I'm nowhere near a hero, so I'm not comparing. But you know, having in, in my own regard, and I've shared many times here, like facing facing death. Um, you know, you just want to make a count, and that gentleman did. So my my hats off to him. That's that's altruism in display. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So, as everybody knows, we uh, we always like to discuss some shit hitting the fan, preparations, tips, stuff like that. We're gonna do something a little bit different today, um, to try to lighten the mood, I guess, a little bit. But also, um, you know, these, these things might prove some value. But <laughs> Tim's gonna talk to us about what, what is it? What's the title of the? These are fifteen shit hits the fan movies. That we should there all you go. Be watching. Shit at the fans' movies. It might be able to give you some. Uh... Hey, and I'm I'm gonna um, <laughs> due to the current times, I'm gonna throw out my own number one, and it should probably be Red Dawn at this point. I was actually uh, just. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, but anyway. is, that a, is that on the list? That is not on is my on list, list today because oh, I think Red this Dawn. list was printed well, prior to the last um, couple weeks that we have been watching the Russian aggression uh, against Ukraine, but. Um, Check out Red Dawn, like holy cow, that um, that movie. No, could... no, no. Hold on. Go ahead. The, the original. One with, the one with, thank you, with yeah, Saint Swayze. Original. Yes, yeah, not yeah, with. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just for the beefcake factor alone, you got Swayze, you got C. Yeah. Thomas Howell. I mean, I'm getting moist just thinking yeah. about it. You got uh, <laughs> uh, Leah Thomas, Leah Thompson. Yeah, uh, the girl from Powers uh, Booth, Powers William Booth. Smith, yeah, was in it. The girl um, from uh, Dirty Dancing, Jennifer, Jennifer Gray. Gray. Yeah, yeah. What so. the hell's Grazing Fire? Why don't you just shoot right at him? I'll never forget. I can pretty much quote that entire movie. <laughs> yeah, I can too. Yeah, that, go is, ahead. Uh, that is. An I, I want to go watch it now. Like, I know. You, you guys finish up. Can, I'll go. Can we just pause this for now? We're gonna go watch that. Um, I do want to read my favorite Red Dong quote. There you though. go. There you go. <laughs> 
I'm going to fight. It's easier for me because I've done it before. The rest of you are going to have a tougher choice. I'm not going to sell it. It's too ugly for that. These soldiers don't want to be here. For them, this is some place. For us, it's our home. When you fight in your backyard, it makes a little more sense, and it hurts a little less. So that is, um, you know, as we're, we're watching and, and sending all of our thoughts and prayers to the Ukrainian people, that, uh, that one really hits home. So I do want to get on to this list. So the 15... It's the fan movies that you should watch. The first one on this list, 127 Hours from hmm. 2010. Okay, I, I, have you seen it? Yeah. I can't. I can't. I, I, I won't see it again. No, I can't. I can't listen yeah. to the. The I know exactly what it's about. I can't watch the guy snap his own wrist. And oh, and then pull out his Swiss Army yeah, knife yeah, and try to sharpen it. True yeah. story. True story. Right? So oh, this yeah. is one of the grittiest survival movies out there that shows you. How little some of us can be prepared in situations that require proper gear, and how far can people go in order to live another day? This was a true story. A hiker and a mountain climber called Aaron Ralston goes on an adventure in an isolated canyon in the state of Utah. Unfortunate events then lead him to get his hand stuck beneath a large boulder and holy cow <laughs> don't want to spoil that for you but that part's pretty troubling i don't know that uh i could do um the things that were depicted in that movie so that one is uh that one's a watch once and it'll yeah, stick right, with you forever <laughs> yeah, yeah. it'll stick with you yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Um, so number two on this list is from the year 2011 it is contagion that's a great hey Hmm. That is, that's my son Connor's favorite movie. I don't know why. And this hmm. that was before COVID, but it is a it is that's what a pandemic really looks like. That, have you guys seen that one? That's, I, yeah. I have seen this. Yeah, this I've one is Matt too. Damon, Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, there's a shit um, this movie has been the talk of the news and social media in the wake of COVID-19 due to the similarities between the two. Hey, Hollywood always predicts uh, some of the things that Well, there's, there's a us. reason for that. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Contagion starts when a woman and her sons die to a new deadly virus after she returns from a business trip to China. As the global <laughs> pandemic starts, a father tries China. to save his family. China. COVID-1. Tries to save his family from all the chaos, looting, and food shortages that ensue upon the collapse of society. Mm. Um, so you're, if you guys um, watched the State of the Union and then went to the grocery store and the gas station, you would see a couple things aren't lining up. So, hey, pay attention to Contagion because there are some good tips in there that you can find so number three on this list is called the road from uh, 2009 listen i i love cormac mccarthy and the book is fantastic but the movie is also my daughter's a sophomore and she she had to read that this year in, in her oh, literature class which oh, is wow. fantastic that i mean is, that's a heavy read i told her i said oh yeah i said at the end it's it's heavy i mean the, Cormac, the, he wrote that. No he wrote that so, men, so differently than his other, but Blood Meridian. Oh yeah, um, it, it's father, it's about father and son. Yeah, but there's it's and, it's almost yeah. like a stream of consciousness kind of thing. There's no yeah. the punctuation. I, I wonder how he got. I wonder how his editor let him get away with because he's very little. Cormac McCarthy. Hey, and so if you haven't seen it, Charlize Theron's in it, so that is a, a selling point. But um, similar to Contagion, the the road also focuses on a father that tries to lead his family through a post-apocalyptic world with all the survival elements that you can think of. So very similar movie. 
probably should check it out with Charlize Theron in it. That makes it a little bit easier to watch. Um, number four on this list, 10 Clover Lane from 2016. Hmm. Have you guys that seen this one? That's a good one, yeah. That is a John Goodman movie. Um, this movie has one of the textbook preppers that has a full-on bunker. Yeah. After a car accident, a woman wakes up inside John Goodman's bunker along with another stranger where she learns that a huge chemical attack has rendered the outside world inhabitable. So I have not seen that one, but I it, think it's we a sequel check it out. Yeah, right. to Cloverfield. Yeah, it's it, it I don't want to I don't want spoiler, I don't want to spoil, but it's it's excellent. Very good. Number five on our list is also from 2010, The Book of Eli. That should be number one. That is that is Denzel Washington movie, so um, I'm a big Denzel fan myself. So The Book of Eli is a must-watch if you're a fan of survival movies. In this post-apocalyptic action-adventure saga, a lone man with hopes of a better future needs to find his way through a wasteland of present-day America to keep a book of secrets to save mankind. That is an excellent, excellent movie. So I would actually bump that one up personally. I would too. Yeah, so, Gary Ullman, Ray yeah, Stevens, Mia the, Kunich. Um, oh, and the, Mila, guy, the guy from mm -hmm. Clockwork Orange is in it. Um, yeah, that's... Yes. That's anyway. A, excellent movie. So um, put that on your list. Number six on this list is A Quiet Place from 2018. Hmm. Yeah, right on. Okay. That okay. is uh, Emily Blunt. I have... Um, not seen this one either. And it in a world where blind aliens attack Earth. In a world. <laughs> in a world where blind aliens attack Earth. Uh, the world is left in silence after most of humanity was wiped out. The family of Lee Abbott tries to survive by prepping on a farm where they have had to deal with several issues in complete silence, including giving birth to avoid attraction so you guys from monstrous seen I've seen it. Yeah. No, okay. I, I, I haven't Tim, seen how did that, you miss that, that thing? Yeah. That Jim from The, the Office yeah, directed Jim Halpert. It. Oh. Yeah. Jim Halpert marries the chick from Edge who, of Tomorrow. Who would have? Right. <laughs> Actually, they're married in real life. but No, I mean, who would have thought Jim, of all people from yeah. The Office, would have been the... Right. Anyway, yeah, I Michael excellent. Scott. <laughs> this might surprise you guys, but... I'm not good with quiet and silence. So I'm, no, I'm not either. But that, that that's why that movie like, builds that on such an interesting premise. My so. nightmares are made of. Like, please, somebody say something. The aliens in that are pretty, pretty intense. Really? We're, we're will, living uh, my nightmares right now. Definitely to check that just on the podcast or in in general. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk <laughs> after the show. We'll talk after the show. Right. Um, from 1997, the movie The Edge. So, Alec Baldwin and uh, oh, yeah, Alec Baldwin, Sir Anthony, Anthony Hopkins, Anthony Hopkins. Oh my gosh, yeah. A. L. McPherson. And McPherson. Well, one man can do, another can do. Yeah, right. I love that movie. And this is another must-watch for preppers and those who appreciate great acting and directing. That's why I don't wear a watch. L. McPherson yeah. is in it, and yeah. all our younger, all our young, yeah, all our younger listeners may not know her, but. Ask your old man. Yeah. <laughs> go look at the, go watch the movie Sirens. Full what, what? Hey, this movie takes place in an Arctic wilderness of Alaska where a plane crash takes place, leaving two men in a brutal battle of survival. Actually, there's three men at the beginning. Yeah. And one of, one of, one of them doesn't last very long. Bart that, the dude's mayor. Famous, that dude's famous too. He was a uh, yeah. he was in Oz. Yes, he was. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he's, in, he's, he's actually lost. Yes, he name? was. Yeah, there's an American good, fellow. Good cast. Yeah. yeah. Hey, number number eight on this list, um, a John Cusack movie. Uh, 
from 2009. Oh, and this movie that. is called 2012. Yeah. Um, from 2009, so called 2012. Like that movie sucked ass. Like Holy shit, cool John Cusack has been a disappointment oh, in is, life. He is um, a douche. Man, man, he turned into a douchebag. Yeah, but he's like my favorite actor. High Fidelity and Girls no. Point Blank are two of the oh, finest films Hey, I'm made. a Better Off Dead fan, Lay too. Meyer. He has my $2. Dollars. <laughs> hey, but the um, only value I found in the 2012 movie was how it linked to the Mayan calendar, and if yeah. you think back yeah. when all that was going on, like the Mayan calendar, mm, I don't know if there's some miscalculations, it could still end up very true. Anyway, according to the Mayan calendar, 2012 is the year where a series of catastrophic, catastrophic events hits the earth to mark the end of the world as we know it. Well, Biden was re-elected. Oh, my God. <laughs> Maybe that's me. Hey, number nine on our list is the movie Gray from 2011. This is a Liam Neeson movie. Um, so the Wolves. Liam, oh, yeah. man, that's, a, that's new, a good one. <laughs> hey, I just recently got over my fear of flying, so I'm not going to tune into these. <laughs> but this is another <laughs> movie that involves a plane crash well, in Alaska. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not interested. And this movie, a huntsman leads a group of workers in order to survive that plane crash in the wilderness. So, so number 10 on our list is the movie Alive from 1993. This is an Ethan Hawke movie. If you haven't had enough of movies that start with a plane crash, here's an interesting one where a team of rugby players survives a horrifying accident in the Andes. This is a true story. So check that out again. Not into plane crash movies at the moment. But what's the what's worse, the plane crash or the fact that they eat each other? I don't, uh, I don't, I don't know. Crash? I think the plane crash part. Yeah, I can like, eat anything. I'm so. looking at Bill getting hungry right now, so I'm good. <laughs> My That's ass sexy. is nice and tender. I'll sit on it all day. <laughs> a number 11 is um, a very popular one. That is the Tom Hanks film Castaway. Love Castaway. Yeah. Castaway was a, a very good movie. Castaway another plane is, crash. Yeah, another plane crash. Holy cow, yeah. He's going to drive Actually, another 30 miles. I'm not going to read any more of these. He's i got to fly to Texas ride. again next month. You're going to be driving, <laughs> RVing yeah. it. Hey, Castaway is one of those movies that has all the good elements of survival of a survival movie with a lot of crafting, all the while featuring a nice plot and some iconic Tom Hanks acting. Um Number 12 on our list, Jeremiah Johnson from oh, 1972. I'm, forget about it. This is a Robert Redford movie. The Nod. The Nod. The oldest movie on this shit hits the fan list, yet it wouldn't compete with this prepping masterpiece. The movie is set when a war veteran in the 19th century decides to seek solitude by living alone in the mountains. However, he becomes quickly overwhelmed with the hardships of mountain life due to his lack of preparation. He then seeks the help of locals to learn about survival tactics. So that one is Jeremiah Johnson. Number 13 on our list is from 2017. The movie Jungle. Anybody watch this one? Wait a minute, Jungle. I just watched that. Never even heard yeah, of it. Yeah, that's with um, Daniel Ratcliffe. Yeah. And Joel just watched it like two weeks ago. It's Never yeah, it's it. it's okay. It's okay. Hey, an adventure. It's true too. Adventurous tourist and his friend hire a mysterious tour guide to explore the Amazon. However. They're left stranded in the unforgiving jungle where they have to fight for survival. There's three elements there that make me not A, Harry Potter, B, a mysterious guide, and three, the Amazon? Like, it's uh, just a bad not, combo. Not somewhere where I want to be it's, lost. The cinematography is fantastic. Yeah, the story is, is, it's okay. I mean, it's, 
Okay. It's decent. Yeah. It's a true story, though. Two hours of my life I'll keep. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> right. number 14 on this list is the movie Divide, The Divide from 2011. I've seen that. Mm-mm. I don't know that. I haven't even heard of these people. Courtney Vance, um, Lauren German. After a massive, hey, we might want to watch it. After a massive nuclear attack on the United States, a group of nine people rush into the basement of their apartment building in New York, trapped in a bunker. Supplies start to run out, <laughs> causing them to turn on one another. Hey, well, is that a documentary? I don't know. Hopefully, we don't find out soon. Um, and finally, number 15 on this list is the movie Buried from 2010. Oh, yeah. This is a Ryan, Ryan Reynolds, Reynolds movie. Yeah, I can't so. watch that. Is, that. is that when he's buried alive? Dude, the, yeah. the, the horrifying part in that movie is with, he get, there's a snake. That gets in there with oh. any buried alive thing or claustrophobic thing. So like, you're not uh, seeing. I'm having a hard time. Yeah, that bothers me. I'm no, having a hard time breathing right now. The descent. Have you ever seen it. the descent? I no, I won't watch that. Oh That's, yeah, that which one's the girl gets too. stuck yeah, wedged yeah. between two rocks as with the doomed. white, the little white yeah, game uh, thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that came out of nowhere. I was, I thought it was like a spelunking kind of <laughs> something goes wrong with the with the thing, and then all of a sudden there's these little weird uh, golem characters. Yeah, chewing heads. That I don't know if we're allowed to make amendments to that list. But Go there, ahead. What do you got? So <clears throat> I, I'm sure I'm the only person that's listening or that's here that's seen this movie. But it came out in 1988. It was with Sidney Poitier, Tom Brenninger, uh, Christy Alley, and the guy who played what? the Krugen, the Kagan from um, Highlander. But it's called Shoot to Kill. It, if you need to find this movie, it's fantastic. Basically, Tom Brenninger is a wildlife expert and Sidney Poitier is on the FBI and he hires him to help him track down a serial killer it, but it's fantastic and the other one is it's a, it was a TV series it was ran for two seasons um, it was called Jericho Skeet oh, Alrich was in it yeah, Lenny I've James it was it's it's very similar it's really really good but yeah I'm sure we, well the fact like you said the fact that Red Dawn isn't on there that's, I mean that's I, no, and, and I just think that the list is outdated hey if you're listening I would start with watching that just in case it ever comes Red to Dawn your move backyard backwards, yeah. Yeah. And, and then move backwards hey real quick buried is a grippling there uh, crippling thriller about a U.S. truck driver and contractor in Iraq that finds himself six feet underground after an attack on his vehicle with only a lighter and a cell phone. That's Ryan Reynolds? Yeah, that's Ryan Reynolds, so our lady so listeners da- might yeah, find right? that Daredevil one. is, or not Daredevil, uh, uh, Deadpool. Deadpool's stuck under the... Yeah, he, yeah, no, he actually is against... The Green he's really against type in this movie. Like, he's not Ryan Reynolds in this no, movie. He's... He's, it, yeah. I don't, I don't like those claustrophobic type no, movies. No, I don't like those either. <laughs> yeah, I watched. I'd rather go down in a plane than be buried alive. Yeah. Well, we don't, I'm, not, I'm sorry about everybody with me. Sorry about everybody with me, but that's just my choice. Yeah. All right, we're going <laughs> to, um, health and wellness tip, superfood, spinach. Let's talk about spinach, guys. So eight health benefits of eating spinach. Number one. Do you guys do you guys eat spinach at all? I don't I like do. cooked spinach, but I love it for like salads. Yeah, that's good. I'm good to the finish because I <laughs> eats me spinach. I get all your four. That's not where they come from, bro. <laughs> One of them's bigger than the other. <laughs> Wonder why? <laughs> like that guy from Lady in the Water. <laughs> Proven eye health protecting quality. Spinach is supercharged with pro vitamin A in the form of carot- carotenoids. Uh, with one ounce of raw spinach supplying over half of your daily value for, for vitamin A. Fantastic. So good for the eyes. 
It's a powerhouse of anti-asthma nutrients. Spinach is loaded with folate, a vitamin that may provide extra health benefits for asthma sufferers. Um, number three, cholesterol-lowering lowering potential of raw spinach. A study published in the journal uh, Food Chemistry in 2007 compared the in vitro bile acid binding capacity of eight vegetables, including spinach, in their raw, uncooked state. Of all the tested vegetables, vegetables, spinach came out on top as having the strongest bile acid binding capacity, indicative of strong cholesterol-lowering potential. I don't know anybody that can't do with their cholesterol being a little lower. Cardiovascular benefits. High cholesterol is the single greatest factor for cardiovascular diseases, but the cholesterol-lowering potential of raw spinach is hardly its only cardiovascular benefit. As mentioned earlier, spinach is packed with folate, a nutrient that has been shown to control high I'm not even, homocysteine levels. Sorry if I butchered that. Another well-known risk factor for heart disease. Spinach is also a good source of magnesium, which has a relaxing effect on the arteries, and vitamin K, which helps prevent calcium from depositing in the blood vessel walls. It's also a power food for athletes. The iron content of spinach has been grossly overstated in the media, but that doesn't necessarily mean Popeye was wrong about the energy-boosting properties of spinach. New research from Sweden suggests that nitrate, a compound found in spinach and other leafy green vegetables, improves oxygen usage in muscle cells' mitochondria. So I guess Popeye was a little... Mm -hmm. How would they... Have, when did Popeye come out? I mean, how, how old is that? 50 years? 70 old. years? Hey, I will tell you. Go like, ahead and Google that for me. Let, let me let me go to the fount of all knowledge on the internet, which is Wikipedia. I mean, how did they know that back then? Popeye I mean, ruined spinach for me. Like canned <laughs> spinach is gross. Like I I like fresh spinach, but man, canned spinach is rough. Uh, neuroprotective effects. A study published in the May 2005 issue of the journal Experimental Neurology found that spinach. Uh, and some other foods uh, reduced damage from ischemic stroke in rats. So uh, an ischemic. Ischemic stroke typically occurs when blood flow to the brain is interrupted, typically by a blood clot. Previously, the researchers responsible for the study had already demonstrated that diets enriched with blueberry, spinach, or spirulina reduced neurodegenerative changes in aged animals. What do you got on Popeye? So, <clears throat> Popeye the Sailor Man uh, is a fictional cartoon Are character. Are there other Popeyes that we don't know about? <laughs> chicken, bro. Popeye chicken. Popeye Doyle. <laughs> Popeye Doyle. Doyle. Yeah, yeah, there you yeah. go. Boom. Man, um, damn, you're welcome. I had him too. You did. <laughs> I'm a crafty half-blind dude. Um, Popeye the Sailor Man <laughs> was a, or is, a fictional cartoon character created by Elise Chrysler Cigar. Uh, the character first appeared in the Daily King Features comic strip, uh, the Thrimble Theater on... January 17th, 1929. So we're 29. Oh, wow. Yeah, so 90, 92. Wait, did you say cigars? Like that's, that's where last S E G A R. Oh, okay. I think yeah. he's just making up words now. Making up yeah. names. So it's yeah. almost 100 years old. Yeah, and there he is. There's Papa. Have you ever seen the, the, the family guy thing where it shows Popeye go to the doctor and the doctor's like, your arms are riddled with tumors. I can't believe that you've been walking around like this. <laughs> and he goes, and the way you talk, it's indicative of a stroke. <laughs> you probably have three months to live. It's funny. We'll bring it up. Roadhouse. That, that, when you say road, family yeah. guy, it's a roadhouse. Spinach, spinach also has benefits for the skin. Um, spinach contains a whole slew of antioxidants which are thought to slow down the formation of wrinkles and other signs of aging skin. 
Yeah, I need some of that. <laughs> Raw spinach and cancer prevention. A study published in the November 1997 edition of the journal Cancer, Epidemiology, Biomarkers, and Prevention. Sounds like a hell of a good read. Yeah. Found that women who ate raw spinach at least once a week had a reduced risk of breast cancer. Intake of cooked spinach also appeared to have a protective effect, but the effect was not as strong as in the case of raw spinach. Hmm. In another study, the high intake of lutein, the main carotenoid in spinach, was associated with a reduced risk of colon cancer in both men and women. Wow. So eat your spinach, guys. I mean, you'll look like Popeye. You'll be able to beat up, uh, who is it, Brutus, Bluto, both of them? Well, it wasn't Bluto his buddy. No, he didn't have let a me go. Let me go back. I think Wimpy to... was his buddy. No, who's who's the guy that gave him the hamburgers? That's Wimpy. No, Wimpy was always asking for the hamburgers. Oh, I'll gladly right. pay you Tuesday okay. for a hamburger today. There was Blue, Bluto and Brutus, I think, were always, you know, for the time, I guess it was probably okay, but she, he was basically trying to rape olive oil the entire entire episode, and Popeye was always coming to her defense. <laughs> so there, <laughs> I'm on Wikipedia, you. there's a whole family tree for Popeye. Of course there so is. So Granny was his grandmother, and <laughs> poop, poop Deck. Poop Deck. Poop Deck. Pappy was his father. I'm not even lying. <laughs> I'm not even making this up. Well, um, he was Navy. And then there's Pip. <laughs> right? He was Navy. That is, that's hey, true. Hey, In the hey. Navy. Um, <laughs> Pip-Eye, then Pee-Pie, and Poop-Eye. I remember Poop-Eye. And Pup-Eye were his, uh, Those were kids, his nephews. Yeah. Nephews, that's right, that's right. Uh, Popeye Jr. was his son. Uh, what about Jeep? Does it talk about Jeep on there, that little baby that always crawled around? Mm -mm. His name was Jeep. No, there was Castor Oil, his brother-in-law. Castor oil, Nana olives. oil, oh, yeah. and then olive, olive oil, oil was his uh, significant other. His love. Yeah, I'm not. Where's Brutus? Played here? by Shelley Duvall in the one of her two movie roles. Yeah, and she was perfect in both. Mm, that's the big yeah. So any of our younger listeners out there, do yourself a favor and go uh, YouTube or whatever some Popeye episodes. You're gonna. It's it's crazy what they were allowed to to show. Bluto, you were right. Yeah, Bluto. Bluto. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right, Tim. Do you have a, uh, a man of dishonor for this uh, for this episode? I do. This one's a little bit more recent too. This comes to us from OH. Hi oh. Hi oh. No. <laughs> man upset over Canada's mask mandates threatens the wrong Ottawa. <laughs> <laughs> this one comes via the AP. A man who wanted to join the protests in Canada's capital takeover mass mandates called in a bomb threat so police would waste their time chasing it, authorities said. But he called the wrong Ottawa. He called a village in Ohio. <laughs> the man, a 20-year-old from Akron, Ohio, called the yep. Putnam County Sheriff's Office twice said the sheriff's captain, Brad Brubaker. The first time he made a bomb threat, and then in the second call, he said he had been shot. That's when the man found out he was talking to someone else in Ohio. He wasn't paying attention and just called the first number he found, Sheriff Brubaker said. He said he was mad about the mass mandates. The sheriff's office said it would ask the county prosecutor to consider charges against the man. So I guess the moral of this story is if you're going to call in a bomb threat, man, at least have the right city or country. <laughs> I don't know. But, yeah, mad about the mass mandates. He called in some bomb threats. 
to the wrong location, and now he's facing jail time. So. And now he's in jail. Yeah. Hey, that's yeah, how that works. Yeah, the story is, well, there's a couple morals there. Hey, you could also just not comply and don't freaking wear one like yeah. we've done for the last two years. So you don't need to get too extreme. It's dishonorable to... Um, to call in bomb threats, just want to point that I mean, out. So. Civil, civil disobedience is the way to go. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't include calling in bomb threats. <laughs> Don't, like, to call Canada, it's not even the same area code. <laughs> like, you've got to have a country code. Like, it's not just one. What Listen, do you think if, if the guy on the city? I mean, <laughs> oh, man. If so. the guy didn't even know there was an Ottawa, Ohio, do you really think he's going to? Yeah, yeah, I don't think I, he thought I that one didn't out. Know there was so. an Ohio anyway, very dishonorable road. man down there in Akron, Ohio, threatening our, our village of Ottawa, Ohio. So, mm. Guys, this week's call to action is to live a life so prolific that if you have to make the call to your loved one, you're able to say, if something should happen to me, I want you to know I've never been happier. You made my life. Don't wait around for what you think is going to come. You know, seize life by the balls, guys, and get out there and live a prolific life. Live a great story. Um, live a life worthy of, of, uh, of your time here and something that people will remember you by, like Rick Rascorla. People remember him for how he lived and for ultimately how he died. So get out there, take action. Um, guys, thoughts? Carpe diem. Yeah, right. I mean, you, you need to have an eye on the future. But in America, we we're always striving to, to, to get the next thing that we, we, we're not in the present enough, in my opinion. I know I'm not. Um, you know, and my wife constantly is telling me, put your phone down or, you know, come and spend time with the children. And, you know, that's, that's my fight. That's my fight because I'm always thinking about the next thing, the next meeting I have to attend, the next podcast we have to publish, the next sales trip I have to make, the next this, the next that, the next business we're going to buy. You know, it's just, it's just nonstop. And, and we don't do a good enough job of living in the present. And it's something I'm personally working on. Yeah, and I, I think that um, when you have that mindset of trying to help people and make a difference, uh, it becomes very natural. Like I was just, um, I think we mentioned I traveled to Texas, and when we were driving down the road, obviously none of us are from there, but somebody is standing in the middle of the road trying to flag us down, and um, I look out, and I'm doing 70 miles an hour, and I look out my driver's side window and there's a, a car flipped over on its roof and I can see a person hanging out of it. Oh, and, Jesus. Um, I was actually with your cousin, obviously, Ed. And, um, you know, we turned right around. We ran towards the danger and or towards the situation and, and we were able to uh, get that guy out of there. But it was, you know, it was very troubling. The most, the biggest thing, like obviously I was a police officer, so um, I know how maybe a little bit better to deal with situations like that but to watch everybody standing around and not knowing what to do is really what stood out um, most for me so it's that's kind of like what we're trying to aim at in this this podcast and for the listeners is to start to get that mindset where you're thinking of the worst case scenario so when they pop up it's more just a, a natural reaction and I think that Rick like exemplified that like he he had some plans and, and some thoughts about the worst case scenario that could happen and then when it happened it just becomes his natural response and that's what we all want everybody to take away and say like, be prepared for the worst and always hope for the best but if you're not thinking about these scenarios and and then they pop up you're going to stand there and not know what to do so it's um 
That's yeah, I mean, we're asking you to think about things that are uncomfortable, right? We're asking you to think about shit at the fan scenarios and loved ones and lives being on the line and, and like Tim said, running towards danger to, to act in honor as an honorable man. We understand that these things are uncomfortable, um, and none of us here hope that these things ever come to pass. Um, but if they do, uh, you're going to hope that you were prepared. It doesn't take long to, 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 to develop some baseline preparations for these types of things that we're talking about. So, again, these aren't always enjoyable subjects or, or happy subject matter. That's why we try to, to finish each episode with a little bit of levity. Um, but this, what, what, what the things we're talking about are serious. Um, if you'd have told me 10 years ago that we that I would even have dreamt of having these conversations, I'd have said you're crazy. But things are happening, people. Things are happening in the world every day that just I shake my head every morning when I read the, the latest headline on the on the news sources that I that I visit. I just when I think things can't get any crazier, they get crazier. And I don't know where they can go from here, but I don't know that they're going to go up. So let's prepare ourselves. Let's like Tim said, let's let's hope for the best, prepare for the worst. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, if nothing happens, then we're none the worse for wear. Yeah, but again, like. If it's not you, it's not going to be anybody. So be the men out there that um, at least have some sort of preparation for, for these types of scenarios. And um, hopefully we can all get out of it together. That's uh, that's the goal. Yeah, right on. So thanks to uh, Patch Ops, show sponsor, Tim. Hey, Patch Ops, patchops.com. We have the baddest patches and decals on the planet. So check us out at Patch Operations on Instagram, at Patch Ops on Facebook. I would tell you my Twitter, but they have permanently suspended me. So, Bad. hey, <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Um, actually, screw them, screw them, their shadow bands and all the censorship. Every time they've tried to make us quiet, we've only come back a little bit louder and stronger. So, patchops, patchops.com, check us out. Thanks, as always, to producer Bill. Bill, what do you got to plug for us, buddy? Yes, our, our podcast, Flawcast, Flawcast CLE, um, doing doing some really interesting articles here, or articles, uh, episodes in the next couple of weeks, and we've already have had a couple talking about uh, history of revolutions and that's a great uh, episode. Thank you. Yeah, that, that which was based off a, another uh, Warrior Poet Society, which is a podcast yeah, yeah, I absolutely love. A historian named yeah, Stephen Ma- Warrior Poet Society. Yeah, great, great podcast. Check them out. But um, and then we're. The episode's going to come out tomorrow. It's kind of a piggyback, but nonetheless, uh, here, here's a news flash. I, I just literally uh, finished the in-depth research, and I started this week writing my next book. Uh, it's going to be a while, and I'm uh, excited about this one. It's completely different, but you can still get mine uh, at Amazon. There'll be a link below, or if, uh, hit me up and go ahead and make sure you get one. But I, I just want to say real quick, um, you know, talking about these hard things is like buying life insurance, and it's like making funeral preparations. Nobody wants to do that, but you need to do it because how many people do we know that were respectfully careless and then someone passed away and then all of a sudden well what do you do what do you do and if you endure a little bit of upfront hardship and like the gentleman we spoke to tonight he an, an ounce of preparation making these people run these drills and they hated them and it was an inconvenience but in the long run you know you 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 have that life insurance oh, policy you have those drills
there's all that estate planning and stuff, yeah. but a small price to pay to make sure that your family is taken care of is something. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not comfortable conversations, but they're conversations that know. you have to have. And um, no, it's, it's better to be prepared, not have to use any of this stuff than it is to have these situations pop up and have no plan in Absolutely. place. So, um, no. Anyway, I don't know how much of that we might have missed. I got or, it. Don't worry. No. It's going to be good. I'll make it Bill's work. got it. That's All right. right, guys. The world needs honorable men more than ever. It's time to get out there, step up, get involved, and be honorable. See you next week. And that's basically it. We're recording right now. So what'll do? What'll happen is I'll send this this recording to Bill, and he will he'll listen to the whole thing, take out any big gaps, anything that you know. If you if you tell me, hey, I don't want that on there. If, there, right. if we talk about something, I'll just timestamp it and we'll we'll cut it out. Yeah. So, so he edits our podcasts, um, and none of this will be in there. We'll take this, all this out, and I do an intro and an outro um, that I'll do separately um, from home. So you are the third person I've interviewed for the podcast. The first person was Chuck Orzakowski, who's a buddy of mine. He does a lot of volunteer work for veterans. He's not a veteran, but um, he, he does a lot of volunteer work for um, RWB, um, which is red, white, and blue. It's, it's, a, it's a charity. Uh, and he does another... I can't think of it. Anyways, interviewed him, and then I interviewed Steve Naughton. That would be a good uh, interview for you to listen to on our podcast. Okay. He's uh, ex-Secret Service. Oh, really? Yeah. Young guy, too. He's, I think he's 29. Wow. Yeah, so he was uh, seven years in the Air Force. Has a crazy story. He was a bubble boy as a young boy. Oh, he, really? was, he was born with this... Genetic defect? Yeah, where you basically... Have, it's AIDS, basically. You have auto, you're, you're compromised, immunocompromised. So he got a... I think he got a bone marrow transplant from his sister, and that's how he kicked it. But he wow. was... It was touch and go there what for a is, long time. A so, yeah, and he... Um, couldn't get in the military. They wouldn't let him in the military because of because of that background. And then he went to work, got a job, and then the air uh, down in Youngstown, I think I can't remember exactly where it was because he's from Wooster. Uh, air Force Reserves reached out to him, and he went through the you know he's going through the process thinking it's going to get to the finish line, and they're going to say no, we're going to we can't let you in because of your physical issues or what have you. And some doctor signed off on him. And once that doctor signed off of him, that basically gave him a rubber stamp to just go. So he did seven years there, and then Secret Service came calling, and he went to work for them. That's fantastic. Yeah, and he has a lifetime NDA. NDA. Can't talk about it at all. So we talked, and I said, tell, you know, just tell me what you that. can, yeah. you know, without naming any names. But I basically asked him about morale and, um, you know, I asked him a dumb, dumb question. But I, I said, can the Secret Service, are you guys allowed to vote? And he told me nobody in the United States is a lot, is not allowed to vote. Which I was just thinking, I was like, if he goes, he made a good point. You're not protecting the individual; you're protecting the office. So if it's Joe Biden or Donald Trump or one of these guys you can't stand, you're not protecting them. You're protecting the sanctity of that office. Uh -huh. And the guy just happens to be the guy, right? So right, right. I was like, oh, that makes. Once he explained it to me that way, that made sense. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, so he, so he's a. He'd be an interesting uh, pers uh, first episode for you to just to figure out what we're what we're all about here at the, the honorable man. So Brian Massey, so lobbyist for citizens. Um, you want to know how I started with the name? Yeah, yeah. Well, it started. Uh, oh God, I guess about five years ago. Uh, I was looking at my um, 
property tax statement, <laughs> and then I, I noticed that you know I'd been in the house uh, ten years or so, and my property taxes had gone up forty percent in the ten years, and I said, well, that's not sustainable if it keeps going up this way. True, true. I did not know much about property taxes, how to calculate it. So what I did is I uh, I attacked it with a vengeance. I I I taught myself the property taxes. You know, uh, house build, you know, nine twenty, inside millage, outside millage. Uh, uh, my my forte is being able to make the numbers talk. Mm. As a uh, you know former you know CPA and accountant, you know public accountant. And, uh, okay, so wait a minute. That's your background? Because I was like, who in the hell wants <laughs> wants to go into property taxes and try to figure See, that's where that's how they get us is because normal people don't want to do that. So it takes a CPA, <laughs> yeah. somebody that loves numbers, to do that. Okay, yes. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. The, uh, <laughs> so I even contacted the, uh, uh, the state of Ohio because I wasn't getting all the information I needed about House Bill 920 from the local auditor's office. So I contacted the State Equalization Board, I think they were called, and I developed sort of a, a phone friendship. They were very kind, you know, in answering any and all questions. And uh, they said to me, you know, Brian, you know, there, there's a lot of lobbyists down here in, uh, in Columbus. Everybody's got a lobbyist. But you know who doesn't have a lobbyist? The citizens. Said we need lobbyists for citizens, so it really that's the that's that amazing. The, that's that, a great that, origin story. That that's how it started. Then I said, you know, I think I'm being told that maybe uh, maybe we should start a company. So what I did is I formed a uh, I figured out how to do a 501c4, registered it, you know, with the IRS and with the state, and uh, then I said, well, how am I going to communicate with the people? I said, well, I need a website. So I said, you know, I don't know anything about websites, so I had to teach myself how do you build a website. I got onto, you know, WordPress, and through a lot of trial and error, I realized, okay, this is how you uh, start a website. You got to, you know, pay for the, f I found a format that was like a newspaper. So I, 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 I then I said to myself, you know, what I really need to do is I need to be an investigative journalist. I need to go out and start asking questions because I wasn't, I really wasn't happy with what I was seeing with the News Herald or really any other, whether it was the plane dealer. I thought they had lost their objectivity. And I said, all right, what is important, you know, to the people? What's important for good governance? What do the people need to know? And that's when I came up with the slogan, honesty, integrity, and transparency. It's HIT, H-I-T, the acronym. Honesty, integrity, and transparency. Those are, as far as I'm concerned, those are the key factors uh, for good governance and an informed electorate. So with that in mind, um, regardless of the whether they're Democrats or Republicans, because I've come to the conclusion I think both political parties are morally bankrupt. Um, I did a tremendous amount of reading uh, you know, listening, what is happening in the world. And what I, I came to realize is that this has been a hundred year venture of Marxist indoctrination going into all of our institutions and trying to destroy our country from within. 
And I said, I came up with the, the expression, when you destroy the family, babies, and morality, a society will collapse. And I, that is what I am concerned is happening to us right now. Our society is collapsing. Whether people realize, you know, so they, you know, they get hung up on, you know, Donald Trump or Joe Biden. And so when I, I was a real Trump, you know, advocate, I, I went to one of the rallies they had here in Cleveland. My wife and I went and I was, you know, he was really pumped up because it was, it was America first. I believed mm -hmm. in the sovereignty of the United States. I did not believe in what I was reading that it should be a one world government where there's no borders or any country right. and everything is, you know, uh, uh, controlled through the United Nations or some type of organization. But when, you used, when we used to say that, you know, years ago, people didn't understand that. They truly thought it was conspiracy theory. But now you've got Joe Biden that's talking about the, the new world order. Literally. You know, Literally so, has said those words right. multiple times. Right. So uh, I am I am concerned that we haven't hit bottom yet, and we're going to you know we are going to uh, experience some real difficulties. But again, back to the investigative journalism. Um, as I mentioned to you, I can't do anything at the federal level and even at the state level. Um, so I've been focusing on basically Lake County and, and surrounding counties. Mm -hmm. I go to a lot of meetings. I go to commissioners' meetings. I go to the school board meetings. Um, uh, um, uh, Lake County Liberty Coalition, the Heritage Club. So where there's like-minded people, and uh, I was, I was, I came to the conclusion when I saw all of the people that were attending these meetings. The majority of them were women. I said to my, said to my wife, and I said, look around, what do you see? And it was 75, 25, if not 80, 20. Really? How long ago? So when you first started, how long ago were we talking? This is five plus years. Okay. Like maybe eight years, eight to you eight know, years ten ago. years, yeah. And, um, and I said, this is disconcerting. What is happening to the men? Why aren't they... You know, they they stepping up. So in the, you know, back to the journalism, one thing that I found extremely effective is the video. When I take a video into a meeting, whether it's a board of elections or, I, you know, uh, uh, today I went to a, a meeting uh, with the commissioners where they're talking about the new jail. And I, I see my role is I can go to these meetings and I can take a video, maybe not professionally done, but it's adequate. And that's completely legal, right? People, yeah. Most people may not know that, that you can record any yeah. public meeting. Yes. Right? And yes, that, that is correct. Yeah. But what I do, though, is, you know, under the old uh, expression, permission is easier than forgiveness, asking for forgiveness, I always uh, ask, uh, you know, permission for uh, just to make sure that the person that's up front, they don't mind. Because as, as I said before, people will talk to a small group, but they get nervous or anxious if you take their image and broadcast in a bigger scale. They're afraid. It, it's, it's pure fear. Uh, so I always ask for permission, and, uh, and I'm very cognizant of you know, somebody in the audience. I try not to get the audience involved because you know, people are... Again, they, they don't want to be, you know, 
outed or displayed or their image displayed. Well, you recorded me at one of uh, the, the school board meetings, and I was supposed to be at work, so I hope my boss doesn't see that. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I didn't ask you. Maybe no, I, that's okay. I, Don't I, worry I, about I it. I aired there. But, Don't worry uh, about uh, it. But, when, uh, but as, we, as I said at the Men of Honor, when mm -hmm. we were talking about you know going to, whether it's you know the Auburn Career Center or something like that, um, my natural inclination is, how do I help this? How do we get that message across? Because I think it's extremely important for like-minded people to band together. We're not going to agree on every subject. And when and I keep mentioning that, that we may want to do something, but we've got to agree to disagree so that it doesn't, um, the, our relationship does not degrade to the point where we can't work together. And I see that happening a lot in the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. So I just tell you that the men of honor, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly proud that you asked me you know, to join that, but we may not agree on everything. And I'm saying oh, no, that is, we're not that going is okay. to. I can guarantee it. That is, that is I can okay. Guarantee it. So as long as, we, but if we have the end, uh, the end game is the saving the, our constitutional republic and the sovereignty of this nation, I'm all in. Whatever that, whatever Well, that what do is. they call They call those wedge issues where yeah, they, you, they try to, you know, um, get people fighting about something that at the end of the day really doesn't make a big difference. Correct. And, right. and to your point about the sovereignty of this country and saving the republic and protecting our our seniors, protecting our young people, protecting the people that can't protect themselves. Correct. I think if we're if we're all we're we're in lockstep on that stuff. Right. Who cares about the other stuff? Correct. Um yeah, the, 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 you know, you, you said a couple of things I, I want to go back on. Uh, so um so you started lobbyists for citizens Ten years ago, eight years ago. Uh, let's see now. It's probably maybe six years ago. Six now. years I sort ago. Of lost track of time. So, yeah. right. so um, going to all these meetings that you've been going through, going to for the last almost a decade now, primarily women initially, because mm -hmm. what I'm seeing is a lot more. I'm seeing it. The the meetings I'm attending, it's it's at least fifty fifty, if not the majority of are men. Maybe that's yeah. because I'm bringing a. Yeah. a bunch of guys with me, but right. are you seeing more people getting involved now? Yes, I see more people getting involved. Okay. And that uh, that's good, and it could be bad. When I say it could be bad is you have to be very, very careful of uh, infiltration into the system, into, into your, your meetings. And my experience with the FBI has made me, I don't want to say, you know, paranoid, but it is has raised a, a flag. So our, our listeners may not know. Do you, are, are you willing to share your FBI story? Let me say I, I can I, I can I can share that because I I've been extremely open mm -hmm. you know, by writing articles mm -hmm. and that I posted and also going to commissioners meetings. Mm -hmm. I was telling the you know the commissioners about you know the FBI. Um, let me see if I can do it in a Reader's Digest <laughs> condensed <laughs> version. Um, about a year ago. Um, when there was the big brouhaha about uh, voter election fraud. Mm -hmm. I got together with a group of people that, um, just average people, that were saying, well, how can we, how do we determine if there was any voter fraud? Specifically in Lake County. I could not influence any other county or right. any other sure. state, so I said, let me focus on Lake County. So there were, you know, several, you know, Zoom meetings and then we got involved with this Dr. Doug Frank, and he is the statistician that developed this six-number polynomial that allegedly was he was able to predict 
the outcome of elections using uh, the voter database you know, from each county's database. And this this was prior to 2020? So uh, did he, he's, he's been successful he, doing that before? He, no, I think he probably started it before. I think he started right after the 2020 elections. I, I'm not absolutely sure on that, but the we got involved, uh, this is 22-21, right after the elections. So mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm not exactly sure when he developed sure. the, uh, the algorithm. That but this guy's a big deal, right? I mean, oh, Mike Lindell deal. has yeah, yeah. relied on him for yeah, his info. So we're not talking about some just some no, random not, guy. No, he's not my neighbor down the street. Right. Or this something. guy has a national profile. National profile, gotcha. he does. Um, gotcha. So his name is Dr. Doug Frank. And um, what we did in our research is we developed um, – databases of people that could possibly be what we call phantom voters. Those are, you know, people that voted in the election but do not live at the address that's on the, uh, uh, in the database mm. of the particular county database. And so that was the idea of trying to find the, those phantom voters. Well, I knocked on, let's say, 60, 70 doors in Lake County and in a couple different uh, communities we didn't find one. You didn't find anything? Nothing. Everybody was where they were supposed to be. Everybody, yeah, everybody was there. I, I even uh, worked with the uh, uh, the Board of Elections, Ross McDonald, uh, and I told Ross early on, I said, Ross, here's what I, I want to do. I want you to work with me, and what I promise you is I'll never bear false witness, and at the end I will go public with, with our findings, good, bad, or indifferent, but I'll tell everybody what we did. So there was no, there was nothing nefarious, nothing you know, behind closed doors or mm -hmm. anything. Ross McDonald knew what we were doing, and um, w one time they allowed me you know access to the database, you know the public database of, and, and I had some names. And after half an hour, I said, "Well, this is a waste of time because I'm finding everybody on the database." So then we um, we got to meet uh, Doug Frank at a Parma restaurant. He was speaking uh, to a group of patriots along with Joanne Swalen, who at the time was uh, the uh, running mate of Joe Blystone. But I wanted to go and listen to Dr. Frank. Uh, and I heard what he had to say. And it was basically, you know, what I, uh, I didn't learn anything new. But I wanted to talk to him directly. So after the, uh, after his speech, we met him at another Parma restaurant where I was face to face, right across the table. Room. And I, uh, I said, listen, you made serious uh, allegations that there were 10,983 votes switched from Trump to Biden. I said, that, that's really serious. I said, you got to provide us with proof. He got on the phone, and he was contacting, and he said this guy by the name of Conan. And I, uh, Conan, I, I didn't know there was no last name. And he said, this Conan... You know, brilliant guy. He's a he's a bit autistic, so we don't put him out you know front with people. He's a little mm -hmm. awkward in a in a one-on-one -on -one situation or with a group. And uh, he built him up to the point where I believed a comforting lie. And I called myself out later for this, and I thought, well, Conan, you know, with Mike Lindell's money, he's probably you know got two PhDs from MIT in computer science. One of these cyber ninjas can go in and out, and nobody can be undetected. Well, where I, uh, where I believed the comforting lie was this. Four weeks later, we still didn't have any proof from Dr. Frank. Nothing. And then I saw the Washington Post article that outed the uh, 
Conan. His name was Conan Hayes. And Conan Hayes was that professional surfer from Hawaii, and he had a company that sold T-shirts. And I thought to myself, this is their cyber ninja. <laughs> this, this is the guy that can go in and out, nobody's going to detect it. So I, I told the group, I says, I'm out. I said, I think we've been had. I think and, and because up until that point, you've, you were working this diligently. You were working this angle, and yeah. to speak in journalistic terms. Yeah, yeah. yeah and there was nothing. You, nothing. Hadn't found, you hadn't found one. Not one. Not one. Not even 10,983. That's in Lake County, he's yeah, saying. How many people are in Lake County? It can't be. 230,000 or something. Is there that like, many? Yeah, 230,000. Okay. So five, but, he's saying there's like 5%. Yeah, so that's a 10,983. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, sure, right? sure. Uh, so I, and I didn't know how else to go about other than knocking on doors. And I said, well, I'm not knocking on 230,000. <laughs> 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 Whatever it takes. Uh, so I told everybody that, that I'm out. And then what I did is I fulfilled my promise to Ross McDonald. And I went to the commissioner's meeting and I told everybody everything. This is what happened. Fast forward a little bit and I get a knock on the door from two people. And I honestly, my wife and I thought they were Jehovah Witnesses. We really did. And we said, well, it's, I didn't know they were still coming door to door. And, so I thought they were going to pull out the watchtower, and they pulled out their badges. We're, we're with the FBI, and I go, oh, you got me. And what was the... I, I, real, real quick, yeah. that's the only people you want to see less than the Jehovah Witnesses. Jehovah Witnesses on your door is the FBI. <laughs> well, I am nothing against the, the Jehovah Witness, but I... No, I don't have anything I, against them either. I, but. Could, I could have said, oh, thank God, I thought you were Jehovah Witnesses. <laughs> but I, I didn't do it. My sense of humor gets me in trouble. At times. But what did happen? You happened? and Chris Rock. <laughs> Trying to... Um, a couple of weeks before the FBI showed up, though, various sources, and I and developed a lot of sources <laughs> that I never reveal sources in the county, but sources were telling me, uh, Brian, John Plechnik, the commissioner, he's been talking, uh, uh, you know, in the county, saying, you know, Brian Massey uh, better watch it because the FBI is showing his picture around the, uh, around the county. I'm not really showing my picture. Showing your picture? <laughs> what is this, old school? Uh, <laughs> I don't, have you I, seen honestly, this man? I, I mean, know. it's 2022. So when they came to the door uh, and uh, and they said, I'm FBI, I said, I'm sorry I don't talk to the FBI. He said, the young lady, who was, they were both very, very nice, very accommodating, big smiles on their face. We just want to talk to you about May, May 4th. I said, honestly, I don't know what you're talking about on May 4th. So they left. Week or so later, somebody sent me a video, uh, and it was a uh, it was a it was a spoof. It was uh, a guy that was in a coma for for three years and just woke up. The doctor told him that Joe Biden is now president and won by 81 million votes. And the patient said, "Joe Biden didn't win by 81. He couldn't have won by 81 million votes." And the doctor said, "Shh, the FBI is listening." <laughs> so, so I posted that video, you know, to the website. With the uh, the headline, OMG, I now know why the FBI wants to talk to me. Within 24 hours, I get a call. This is the FBI. And they said, Brian, 
we don't want to talk to you about the 2020 elections. So I knew that the FBI was reading my website. There you go. That's a feather in your cap. (laughs) I don't know if that's good or bad, but they were doing it. So then, uh, you know, I don't know, a week later, they show up to uh, my door and I could, uh, you know, it was nine o'clock in the morning. You know, I'm still in my pajamas. I said, I don't. So I was, I went to get changed. I came back and they were gone, but I knew it was them. Yeah. A couple days later, uh, my wife and I pulled in the garage right behind us. Another car pulled in. FBI. Was it the same agents? No. Okay. It was a process server. This young oh, lady okay, said, okay, okay. Uh, yeah. we're here to serve you a subpoena for a grand jury. So they impaneled a grand jury for me to speak. And I'm going, I'm just an average citizen. What do they, what do they think I know? So I talked to friends, and, they, and I told them, I said, I just got this subpoena. And he said, it's all legitimate. And they said, they're not necessarily looking at you. They must think that you know something. Mm-hmm. But what it was, uh, and I figured it out, this was just a signal from the FBI to me to say, you're going to have to talk to us. We're the FBI. My friends said, uh, Brian, they're not your friends. You must get legal representation. And by the end of the conversation, they were demanding. Well, I remember when you and I spoke on the phone about it, you, you were talking about not having a lawyer, and I was, yeah. you know. Because, we, we, again, if you, if, but the problem I know what is, you're saying. If you have nothing to hide, yeah. but that's not how it works. You know, you're right. Because Unfortunately, we've seen that all that, too well. You know, when you have, if your basic instincts are to help people, if they're not your friends, they'll twist you around Mm -hmm. and they'll set you up in a perjury trap. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, so $1,500 later, you know, for a retainer, for an attorney, uh, attorney calls the assistant uh, district uh, attorney for the FBI. They arrange a meeting. We go to the uh, attorney's office and there were four FBI agents. The two agents that came to the house uh, a gentleman, I don't remember his title, but he was in charge of computer hardware. He was the their cyber ninja, if you will. Did he? And, was he an ex-surfer as well? Or I don't did he think sell so. T-shirts? He, he didn't bring his surfboard with him. And, and then there was uh, the actual um, gentleman that was going to be the uh, prosecutor during the impanelment of the uh, grand jury. I'm saying, I wonder what this cost. You know, the taxpayers, right. to have four people interviewing little old me. Right. So they started out by saying, and, and I'm always trying to educate people, that if I go through a life experience that I think is important, I try to tell people, said, hey, so this is what I was trying to do with Men of Honor, saying that the, the FBI agents, they before we got too far into the conversation, they must have said three, maybe four times, don't lie to us. They, they view lying to the FBI as a very serious crime. Now, you weren't in front of a grand jury. No. Was there any sort of, Miranda's the wrong word, but is there any sort of, you're here of your own free will, on your own recognizance, but you swear to tell us the truth? No, or? There, there was no Bible out there with raising of the right hand. So I, I wonder if... I could this have, was at I, your I, attorney's office? Yeah, my attorney. My attorney did say I could have just, you know, pled the fifth on, on, on everything. Well, can you, can, can you lie in that scenario? Because you're not in front of a grand jury. You didn't put your hand on the Bible. 
And I'm not, I'm not suggesting you, you, by it. No, no. Um, I want, I'm just wondering. Cause yeah. they, like you said, they told you several times not to lie to us. Maybe were they overcompensating for the fact that they had no le legal recourse if you did? I, I don't know how to answer that. I really don't. Yeah. Uh, That's interesting. I, I just, yeah. it just came to my head. The, uh, they started out by trying to get me, you know, very comfortable. They said, uh, you know, Mr. Massey, you're, you're not a, the subject of any indictment or, you know, we're not, I can't remember the exact word, but they were not after me. They thought that I could provide some evidence to what happened on, on May 4th. And I said, well, how, uh, why, why would you select me? And they said, well, somebody saw you in the county uh, administration building on May 4th. And I said, well, that's very possible. What happened on May 4th? And I found out, well, that was during the, uh, there was an election at that time on May 4th. We're talking about 2021. Okay. May 4th, 2021. Yes. I said, well, if it was a, you know, election, I was probably at either St. Bede's or Auburn Career Center because I'm, I'm a poll worker. Mm -hmm. So they spent 10 minutes interrogating me on what do I do as a poll worker? And I said, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a poll worker. And I, you know, I do this job and that job or whatever they want me to do. Um, and uh, I, I then later found out that I wasn't at the, the poll worker as a poll worker because I, after the, the meeting with the FBI, I contacted the Board of Elections. I said, was I working you know, for you guys on May 4th? And they said, no, because it was a small election and they didn't have voting machines at every precinct, so it was a small. So whether I was at the poll or whether I was at administration, it, it really didn't matter. I mean, I'm probably at the administration building three times a week. You know, where, right, is that where all the commissioner meetings are? That's where the commissioners, like, yeah. the auditor's office, sure, the treasurer, sure. uh, the recorder, uh, and I ask a lot of questions of all those people. So it's not just the... So I said, yeah, I definitely could be there. But what they were trying to uh, ask me is, were you involved with a, a potential break-in to the Board of Election computers? I said, no, that's an easy one. I was not. You know, <laughs> yeah. I said, number one, I wouldn't know how to break in, too. Yeah. But I, uh, because what they said was uh, that... They, the FBI views trying to hack into a system and like picking a lock on a door, and they view that as a criminal sure, offense. Sure, sure. No, I get that. Um, so um, we, you know, we talked about you know a, a lot of uh, different things, uh, and they and they were you know about to you know wrap things up, and uh, they said to me, Brian, we believe in what you're doing that we believe that transparency is extremely important and we wish there were more people like you throughout the state. I thought that was a pretty good <laughs> recommendation, you know, of the FBI. All of them, you know, we all shook hands. They, were, uh, they uh, told my attorney I don't have to appear, you know, before the grand jury. So that was, uh, you know, lifted, you know, from me. Uh, but my I can't tell you all the details, but my concern is that there is a mole in the um, somewhere in the good guy network. Now, somebody said, "Well, you know, Brian, they, they could have. It could have been the policeman in the uh, in the uh, auditorium that said that he saw you." 
I said, well, I know they didn't look at any videotapes because I know from, you know, talking to Mr. Paul Stefenko, who's in charge of telecommunications, I know what they retain as far as I know that they've got uh, cameras on all the parking lots, they've got cameras on all the, uh, the general uh, uh, public areas, uh, but they don't retain the information for more than a couple months. So they didn't have video of me in the building on May 4th. So you're thinking that when you say the Good Guy Network, there's there's like-minded people yeah. in Lake yeah. County that are working in front of the scenes and behind the scenes to, you know, to, just to fight the good fight. And you're thinking that there might be somebody that wanted to either A, put you under the microscope or B, scare you a little bit or you know kind of kind of cool your heels a little bit yeah 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 and um because uh, i build myself out as the most hated man in lake county because i'm pulling back the curtain whether it's democrats or republicans because if they're not uh if they're feathering their own nest or not acting in the best interest of the citizens that's when that's when i expose them so it 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 could be a uh, you know somebody that i uh that I expose that, you know, just said, or you may be on the verge of exposing. You could be over the target of something and they want you to have to, to, to turn your focus someplace else. So yeah. give that some thought on the things you're working on right yeah. now. Yeah. And if there's a lot of money involved and there's a couple of things that we know where there's a lot of money involved yeah. and somebody wants this to get through, um, for various reasons, some of them probably nefarious. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. Potentially. But, the, you know, the, F, the FBI did ask me the uh, sort of a, a germane question of, do I think that there is any, and they were talking about commissioners, uh, do I know of any, you know, you know, corruption per se? And again, I, I've never bear false witness. I said, no, I think all three, you know, commissioners, although, you know, we, we fight like cats and dogs on, on issues, I think they're all law-abiding men, law and order uh, men and I, I do not think that there is anyone that has got larceny in their heart that is willing to sell out to people. Not at all. Mm. And uh, so I thought that was important that I get across that to the, you know, I, I didn't tell the FBI, you know, that one of the things the lobbyists for citizens did is we found six million dollars that were uh, that were on the books of the com you know, uh, of the county that belonged to the taxpayers. They were unclaimed funds overpayment of property taxes going back to 1980s. I didn't know if that was something that the FBI should know. Does that reach the level of, you know, uh, inquiry of the FBI? So what's happened with that money? What happened was I started, <clears throat> again, my normal inquisitive state. Uh, every quarter, the, the county has a, uh, a meeting with their investment advisors. I attend a meeting, and they have they had uh, 300, around $350 million that were invested by the county. I just asked the question, well, who's got title to this $350 million? I mean, is, is it all general fund money? I didn't think it was. Uh, so after a couple weeks of prodding, asking for it, I got it from Mike Matus, who I think is a, you know, a great finance guy for the, for the county. Uh, and what I did, they have about eight pages of various funds totaling $350 million dollars so i all i did in five minutes i didn't have to develop an algorithm to find this i just went down what's this what's this 
I got 5.3 million here. There's uh, 5.4, 5.3, .4, 6 million. So I asked them, what are all these? Well, number one, I found uh, that the Deepwood Center had $65 million sitting in their surplus account. $65 million. Jesus. And there's no doubt Deepwood does a, a wonderful job mm -hmm. for the community, so nobody argues. I, right. I, but <clears throat> what they did initially, they went out and they, got, they, they took too much money from the people. And in the form of uh, property, taxes? property taxes. So uh, uh, these are every, all these uh, every, are all a sliver of every dollar goes towards Deepwood. A sliver of every dollar goes yeah. here. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So with Deepwood accumulating sixty-five million dollars, what I've been concerned about is that you're sucking the lifeblood out of the community. If the money is not in the hands of the people, so that the people can spend it. That that spending is what keeps the, that sixty-five million dollars just sitting on the sidelines. Yes, that it, could be creating small businesses and you're exactly right you're exactly okay right. so uh but what happens is with these uh, governmental agencies or these nonprofits, they don't want to go back to the taxpayers too often but my thought is deepwood could go back every two years and people are going to vote for sure them. there's some things especially yeah. in lake county that yeah. just yeah. pass every time right. <laughs> yeah All right. yeah so but i had a uh i complained and uh, uh uh, to the auditor, uh, and he's in charge of the budget commission. The budget commission is made up of the treasurer, the auditor, and the prosecutor. And I always thought that there was somebody, some agency, somebody is looking out for the taxpayers with these property taxes. Somebody is saying... <laughs> yeah, somebody's you. Yeah, <laughs> and it was the budget commission, that's one of their roles. But they don't. There is no entity, there is no one that's looking out for the average taxpayer on these property taxes. Had a meeting with the Budget Commission on the, on the 65 million and I find out that the um, Deepwood has a carve out on the Ohio Revised Code that protects them. And they're not giving back that money. And, you know, and uh, God bless her, you know, Elfie Roman who's in charge there, they, they, they make some nice, Nice salaries there. They're not underpaid there. Uh, but she said, well, we're going to need it. And they came up with a projection that showed they're going to need the $65 million in the next couple of years. They came up with that after they were called to the floor? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what do you think I'm going to do? I'm, I'm going to, if I'm still around. You're going to babysit gonna that, yeah. That, okay. <laughs> but back to the unclaimed funds, I, uh, Mike made us. I said, well, what is this, you know, $5.4 million, it's held by the uh, treasurer. And then there was 600000 held by the auditor. What is that? Well, those are unclaimed funds. So I go to the treasurer's office. I said, you got $5.4 million in unclaimed funds. What is it? And so they bring out this big book. It's an old computer printout. It goes back, to, and it had to be at least six, seven, eight inches thick. And he said, this is the $5.4 million. What is it? Those are overpayment of property taxes by the taxpayers going back to 1980. And I said, well, why don't you give the money back to the taxpayers? Well, we don't have enough people to audit this to send it back. Oh, Jesus so I then I'm talking to, I, I then mentioned this to the commissioners. I said, this is 1980 stuff. They didn't know about it. And you know why they didn't know about it? That five, that $6 million was earning interest 
And that interest didn't go to Elfie Roman of Deepwood, it went into the general fund. So all of these commissioners, going back to the 1980s, they're all guilty. Lorraine Fendi of the treasurer for eight years, she's guilty. They knew about it, but they didn't take the money back to the citizens. So I'm a, you've exposed this, right? You've, yes. you've reported on this, you've published, you've... Yeah. What? Now what's happened, you'll see Mike Zurn, this is an absolute windfall for the treasurer. What, so now what he does, uh, you know, they'll, they'll find, the first thing they found was like 53,000 bucks that's supposed to go to the Lake Metro Parks. So Lake Metro Parks, right away they found it, they got $53,000 on this, on this fund. So every time, you know, uh, Mr. Zurn, and I like him, he's, he's a nice guy, but he's also a political animal, just like, you know, John Pletchnik. What they do is they make a big deal if they find, you know, uh, 500 bucks for somebody, they will go out. Oh, it's a photo op. It's a photo op. News Herald's them. there. Yeah, you know, there. right? So well, you basically are getting these guys reelected because you, you provided this ammunition for them. Well, what really upset me, and I, I, I really don't care. I'm not looking for the, the attaboys, but what I don't want to do is I don't want a Plechnik and a Zern, you know, taking all the accolades. I said, you didn't mention lobbyists for citizens. The yeah, right. Me. There you go. Right. Oh, yeah, just give us a plug. <laughs> <laughs> just say thanks to Brian Massey yeah. and, you know, you know, in this. And uh, uh, I felt, you know, strong enough that, you know, I complained. I complained. I really did. I said, and then, you know, uh, I'll go get too, too much in the details. But, and then I, I asked, well, how are we doing? Up to now, we've got about 200,000 of the, you know, 5.3. I said, that's a drop in a bucket. So I'm saying to the commissioners, why don't you authorize the treasurer to put a hire another body to get that you know the five million bucks back to the taxpayers yeah don't do it no they're going to take their sweet time they're going to use it for photo ops and political capital but that that is is that corruption i think it's more malfeasance misfeasance or non-feasance you know so I didn't mention that to the FBI because it's it's probably doesn't reach to their level of uh so this this all stems from property taxes and one of well, your one of your passions I know is property taxes the the ever increasing property taxes in Lake County and what that's going to mean for the average senior citizen down the road. So do you want to speak to that? Yeah, I I I've came up with the uh, the general statement and I've you know harped on it ad infinitum and that is if we stay on this path of ever-increasing property taxes, we are going to price seniors and those living on fixed incomes out of their homes. It's also now getting to the point where it's also going to impact renters because people that own the apartment buildings or their condos or whatever, they're paying property taxes, and that's going to jack up the rent. I, I did some research, and I found a, a way to measure whether or not you're being priced out of your home. And I've done a lot of talking over the years to various groups about what they call the housing affordability threshold. The acronym is HAT, H-A-T. And that acronym, it's, it's a formula. Back in the late 1980s, uh, it was generally felt that a man should not spend any more than 25% of his income for a month's rent. Right. All right? I even mentioned that to the Amish. I, I was speaking to the Amish about this whole thing. So they ate that up. They could really identify with that. And I said, uh, 
there's three factors. Property taxes, your utilities, and your, and your mortgage, if you still have a mortgage. If those three factors added up, if they equal 30% of your annual income, that house is deemed unaffordable for you. That doesn't mean you have to leave or sell your house. It just means you're going to have less money for food, vacations. Yeah. So that's how people, rather than going with emotions, what I try to do is I try to attack it from the, the number side, statistics where people can identify. Um, and what they don't understand, here's a deception also being played by all of the entities that want property taxes. Let's say I'm at 25% housing affordability threshold right now. And a property tax, the school says, it's only going to cost you $100 a year in property taxes. I say to the people, well, what you have to look at is, what does that do to my housing affordability threshold? In order to pay $100 in property taxes and not have my 25% go up to 25.1 or 25.5, I've got to earn $400 a year to pay that $100 and still have my 25%. And what is happening, and especially those on fixed income, if they're at 25%, they're quickly approaching, you know, 30%, and, and there's probably some of them at 35, 40%. Um, I was always concerned. It, it, the 30%, it started at 25, as I said, 19, uh, then the government uh, with a, a housing affordability uh, threshold, uh, the Department of HUD, they determined 30%. So if a person has to go into a Section 8 housing, they will try to determine, you know, what what income do they have, and they will reimburse them up to that 30%. That's mm -hmm. why I understand mm -hmm. how it works. Mm -hmm. So there is a mathematical formula that can tell you, you know, whether you're being priced out of your home. And... Uh, but there's been so many other things that we have uncovered, you know, in the uh, in the in the Lake County. Uh, the Better Flip that was a project of three years ago. We exposed that with the uh, where that was a housing project in uh, right on Willowick in in Willowick right on uh, 305. Where what they were trying to do is they were trying to show people what they could do with a house in Willowick to bring it up to today's standards. So the uh, uh, Lake County Port Authority uh, bought a house <clears throat> and uh, talking about malfeasance, the, uh, the board said, well, we really should have a budget for this whole project, but they didn't go through a budget. So what they did is they said, well, we'll set the budget at $150,000 without knowing how much they really need. And the reason that $150,000 is so important is that is the Ohio Revised Code threshold where you don't have to go out to competitive bids. Mm. So <clears throat> what they did on this project, the end result was they actually spent $299,000 <laughs> of $150,000. And I tried to blow the whistle on that and had all sorts of... You know, so the issues. idea was that... They were going to try to show people yeah, show how people to what, to improve their house. So what? They, but what they didn't realize. But to what end? Why would? What, because what they want, they want the values. Well, they to want the property. Up. I understand that, but what? Yeah. 
Do they think those people just have that money laying around, or were they going to finance them, or was there a financial arm associated with it, or an no. institutional they lender? Ju they just wanted to show the people what they could well, do. Well, everybody knows what you can do. <laughs> Anything's possible with time and money. <laughs> I, I don't have the rationale. I was Jesus. Just a, I was That's just ridiculous. Well, Real quick, okay. um, talking about property tax. Yes. So I am a landlord. own own a bunch of properties. And you know what? I usually just pay my property tax. Get get it because I set aside money during the year. I allocate certain funds, and then my allocation wasn't enough for the property tax this year for one of my properties in particular. And I looked at it, I was like, "Holy cow! The market valuation on this is one hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's insane." So, a dear friend of mine's wife, and she's also a dear friend, is an appraiser. I said. Haley, will you come? Will you appraise this for me so I can? I'm going to fight this. I've never done this before. I'm going to go to the county. Right. She did an appraisal and it came in at 109. Okay. Forty-one thousand dollars different than the market valuation. I sent all that information in, and there's a, there's there's a relatively simple form that you, they want you to fill out. Right. And then they're going to give you a court date to go in front of whomever. I don't know what that board is or whatever yeah. they're called. Zoning. Yeah, I've been know. through that too. Yeah. Right. So I sent them the appraisal. They accepted it out of hand. I didn't have to go in anything. They changed the valuation just like that. So my point is, she did the appraisal for me for free, but an appraisal is what? $400. So $400 is going to save me several thousand dollars this year and then over the life of, of however long I own that property. So I, my recommendation to folks out there is everybody's, I think people are intimidated when it comes to property taxes and um, arguing property taxes in front of their local governance. It's, but a, it's a review board. And um, for the average citizen, <clears throat> if you're before that review board and you're trying to say, well, <clears throat> my house is, is this and I've got a neighbor down the streets that, it is difficult to win that argument. You know, they've got two bathrooms and I've got a bigger living room. And, yeah, you know, yeah. So you are better off, uh, you know, spending the money with the appraiser. But somebody does it for, because yeah. they're going to pull what's called comps, comparables of recent sales in the area that match as well as possible your house. Right. And then, you know, houses are selling that are very similar to this particular property for 100, 110, 115. She just takes the average, you know, figures it out and actually lists those properties. And... It was, I couldn't believe how easy it was. Well, I, <laughs> I was actually looking forward to going in front of them and seeing how the whole right. bureaucratic I, I, bullshit saying, works. But... You're saying, I, I, I like to actually <laughs> Yeah, I like a good it. fight. I like a good fight. The, uh, well, I, I, I went through the triennial update. You know, there's every three and then every six years, a triennial update to use just comparable values. Well, I wanted to see how that whole process worked. And I spent weeks analyzing these numbers, but I went before the auditor and... Uh, uh, and uh, he, he was very, very nice, very kind, and very accommodating, uh, Chris Galloway. And he, uh, he said, "Well, the state has told us that in Lake County, you've got to have an overall, you know, sixteen percent increase, because that's what the st the state keeps track of all these comparable sales in every county. So there must be a, a huge department of people that are, you know, tracking all of these comparable sales. So." Uh, Chris and, uh, and and his helper there, uh, you know, told me. So I says, so what do you do? Uh, how do you analyze every property? They don't go, and the triennial update, they don't go knocking on doors and actually doing a, uh, an appraisal. It's actually just through comparable sales. So they break everything down into neighborhoods. 
So what I did is I, uh, I, I still have the analysis by neighborhood. You know, some were 20%, some may have been 14 and this is over the course of three years. Three years, that's great. So, it's called okay. the triennial update. And when I did all of the numbers, and Chris didn't tell me this, it came out to 17.3%, I think, was the number. I said, well, that's not 16. <laughs> so I go back to the auditor's office. I said, you guys said that you're going to work it down to, you know, 16%. I said, I've got 17.3. They said, yeah, that's what, I, that's what our number is, too, 17.3. You know, 16, 17%. <laughs> I said, wait a minute. When you're dealing with a base of, you know, of billions of dollars. That's significant money. It's a lot of money. Everson has no idea. They've got no idea. Now, did I, I'm not saying that the auditor did anything, um, you know, deceitful or you know he's cheated anybody, but it's the mentality that that got me that, for them, you know, a percent one way or the other was 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 okay, and and um, it, it, it's just I I don't know how to say it that uh, a cavalier attitude, but then you know Chris was saying you know there are other. Uh, in, in other counties, six, uh, 17% was pretty small. There's others that are 24. And then he says, wait until you see the next three years where they actually go knocking on doors and actually do an analysis. So that tells me that what we've experienced now is going to be even worse coming down the road. So when we have the actual schools, whether it's a Riverside school levy, 5.37, I can, you know, I can spend another 10 minutes telling you about that. I've seen your numbers. <laughs> and I'm saying, well, how, how does that all happen? How do we, how do we calculate the 5.37? You know, and so I asked the question, well, how much interest are we paying on it? You're going to, you say it's estimated 147 million, you know, 725, but what's the interest on it? Platko, the CFO, says 100 to 130. And then I thought, well, I wonder what the auditor does, because what the, it, the, the the school board or the entity has to go to the auditor, and the auditor has to determine how many mills that you have to assess of on the base of the, of the, of the base in order to determine the uh, the actual millage, and uh, so I got the calculation from the auditor, very you know, just through a records request, and we do a lot of records requests. But I looked at it, and their calculation looked like about $112 million in, uh, in interest that they figured in the 5.37. And I thought to myself, I wonder if that's enough. I wonder if 5.37 is really enough to actually uh, pay for uh, the bond levy, where in the bond levy, the schools are saying, I don't have any blueprints. I'm, I'm working everything on a, you know, a square footage basis. We've got inflation at double digits, and we've got uh, uh, shortages of supplies that are increasing. I said, this thing could be $300 million with ease. Yeah, we, we've both sat in those school board meetings at Riverside in particular, and we've, I've told people, I, I, don't, I don't see any... It's foolish to try to do this right now with with supply with, chains where the, where they are with the inflation with the uncertainty of the economy. Yeah, and and that, that I mean goes the price of wood has gone through the. I mean everything is expensive and hard to get. Right, right. So how? Yeah, the, I, there. 
Well, thank goodness we got Scott Fischel, mm -hmm. uh, really, on, on the school board. But the same thing applies for the county level. They've got uh, $100 million they say they want to put in a new jail. They're going to get a new jail. So I've been asking, I said, they've got, on the inside millage, you can get uh, up to 10 mils. Right now they're, uh, they're using 8.9 mils of the 10 mils on the inside millage. Inside millage is something that the voters don't get to uh, vote on at all. Okay, and that is uh, that was mandated by the state in the Ohio Revised Code when the uh, state was formed. They came up with you yeah. know one percent, which is really ten mils, and they were at you know they were pretty close to ten mils. But when Dan Troy was a commissioner, they passed a sales tax levy that, uh, and then to offset that, they reduced the inside millage, which was a probably a pretty good idea. You know, uh, but now there's 1.1 mils hanging out there, and there's every government body trying to get that 1.1 mils, but the commissioners are holding on to that for any projects that they want. Mm. So the, the commissioners could say, we want the jail, we want our names on these buildings, and <laughs> yeah. we want, uh, we're going to use the 1.1. I've been, I've been, I've been, Railing against the, uh, I said, don't go against that 1.1 mils. I, I don't think they're going to. I think if they need the money, they'll probably go after the sales tax. But that's still available. So the commissioners probably won't be until after they're reelected. They'll make the decision to uh, use the 1.1. I understand that the 1.1 mil uh, over the entire county would pay for the $100 million jail. They still don't know. Uh, they're still in the formative stages with that jail. I was at a meeting today. They still, they're down to two people, not two companies, to uh, uh, go with. And then there'll be, but we're going to get a new jail. No question. So there's two things I want to ask you. One, yeah. are you familiar with the fire department? Where's the fire department that's being built right now that's significantly over budget? I was, I was involved in that uh, early on. And I need to probably get back into it, but there's only so many. So if many. I'm